This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa podcast. Uh, as we uh, take a look at where things are here as we move into the uh, latest stages of July, and we are back from the All-Star break, and it was anything but a pretty weekend for the Yankees and the Mets. Let's start with the Yankees, who again failed to take uh, advantage of a weak opponent. You know, they did not play well against the Cubs. They did not play well against the Cardinals. Now they did not play well against the Rockies. The Yankees at 50 and uh, 44 are tied with the Red Sox at the bottom of the division, nine games out as far as the division goes. Remember, Tampa hasn't played well of late, and now Baltimore has surged with their eight-game winning streak. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I thought the Baltimore team had a lot more talent in the lineup than the Yankees do now. The only thing the Yankees had was the better pitching. Uh, Baltimore, though, continues to play really well. They've moved 22 games over 500, and now they are challenging Tampa for the division title. And I think they're headed to the postseason this year, and I think they're building a, a very strong team, um, especially in terms of lineup. Uh, so the Yankees at... 50 and 44 have not taken advantage of that part of the schedule in any way. And yesterday's loss was as bad as any loss they've had this year. And they've had some bad ones. I've told you many times, I think the bullpen is not as good as the numbers indicate. They do not perform in big spots. They don't have that one reliable closer that you need where you just know you can hand him the ball in the big spot and you're home. When the Yankees got that lead yesterday, they needed to be able to take that game home. When they had that 3-1 lead, they had to be able to take that game home, win two out of three before they head to Anaheim. And the bottom line is they not only lost that game once, they lost it twice with two-run leads. The prime reason of this bullpen as to how guys get used just makes no sense to me. I just think I, I, I don't know if it's the analytics department putting pressure on Boone to influence his decisions and telling him who's available and not available day to day and giving him different ideas into the matchups. But it just makes no sense the way he uses the bullpen. And who pitches on what day and then who doesn't pitch on what day. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. And the bullpen, to me, just never performs well in a big spot. It has good numbers. I understand that. But you know what? Don't tell me about those numbers when they come into Colorado and pitch that way. And yesterday, give up home runs to bad players. I mean, they got beat on the home run yesterday three different times. In the late innings, 
They get a 3-1 lead, and Cole pitched well. I can't knock Cole. You know, I've never been a big Cole fan, but I can't knock Cole this year. He's pitched really well. Would I like him to go a little deeper in the game? Yes, but all right, he didn't. The bottom line is they were in position to win that game, and they blow it at 3-1. Then they get a 7-5 lead, and of course, they're back bringing in guys that make no sense. Of course, they lose the game on the home run ball and the walk-off against the guy who had a home run all year. So the Yankees, who are going to be, you know, this new team offensively, were they a new team offensively in Colorado? No, they were disappointing again. They couldn't score against the pitcher who in his last five outings had been bombed. They didn't score against him yesterday. Rizzo just can't get out of his own way. The player he has been for the last 40 games is unbelievably bad. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping he's hurt because if he's not, I'd be really worried about him. Because his performance over the last quarter of the season has been just disastrous. And yesterday's a game that the Yankees, first of all, it should have been a mismatch of epic proportions in terms of the starting pitches. After that, it should have been a game they nailed down two different times. And instead, they lose the game. And all you hear from Boone, and listen, I've always liked Aaron, always. But, you know, his, you know, A, everything's going to be fine. A, don't worry, we're going to make people pay. And we have so many players here. No, you don't. The lineup stinks. And you're lucky Donaldson got hurt. It made it easy for you. And they can't get out of their own way offensively. And even in a, in, a, in a place like Colorado where everybody gets healthy, they didn't put on any offensive performance over the weekend. And they couldn't get a big hit when they needed one. But yesterday, they did squeak out leads with the help of the Rockies. And they couldn't take advantage of it. They couldn't nail the game down twice against one of the worst teams in baseball. So like they did against the Cubs and like they did against the Cardinals, they went out and lost two out of three to inferior teams. That hasn't happened once in a while. That keeps happening to the Yankees. And the Yankees are going to start playing in the division. And when they start playing in the division, they're going to realize those teams are really good. Baltimore's good. Toronto's good. We know Tampa is good, okay? And Boston is playing well and always plays the Yankees well. This team has the pitching, especially in the starting pitching, to win enough games to get to the postseason. But I'll tell you something. I thought all season that it was a really a lock that they would make the postseason. Whether they went through the wild card route or not, I thought it was a lock. I still think it's likely, but I don't think it's automatic anymore. Because they have done nothing to answer what needs to be answered with this team. 
And sooner or later, they have to start to play good baseball. And you know what? You're now almost 100 games into the season. When does it start? They keep promising something that has not come at all. I understand they're playing without judge, and that's their grand excuse. They're playing without judge. But the Yankees are supposed to be able to be able to withstand an injury and move forward. It's supposed to be a lineup that has more resiliency than that. Not anymore. And as far as this team doing anything in the postseason, uh, I just don't see it. I don't trust any of them. And I've never trusted the bullpen. I've told you that. And you know why you can talk about they always flash the Yankee numbers of how good the bullpen is? That bullpen has blown a lot of big games this year. I can think a lot of them on top of my head. I'm not sure what the number of blown saves is, but I, I know they've had at least 12 or 13. So I don't trust the bullpen. They got guys who can throw and on some days look unhittable, but you can't trust them. You can't trust them. That includes Holmes. You can't trust them in big spots. Now to the Mets who find themselves nine back, uh, eight and a half back in the wild card. And let's be honest. The Mets salvaged the game yesterday against the Dodgers. But they remain on the edge of elimination. Right on the edge. They are teetering on the brink of just being eliminated. Because the days go by, the weeks go by, and they go this way, then they go that way. They go this way, then they go that way. And let's be honest, they could not score this weekend against the Dodgers for anything. And the game they played on Saturday was embarrassing. They can't score a first and third no out, and then they can't catch pop-ups. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how bad that team looks at times. And they eked out a game yesterday. So at least they stopped the bleeding a little bit. But let's be honest. They're eight and a half games out in the wild card. And they have to right now jump over five teams. And that's becoming a very, very tall order. And going into the all-star break, you saw reason to be a little optimistic and it didn't hold it clearly didn't hold now the Yankees get the I mean the Mets get the White Sox and then they get the Red Sox before they get the Yankee games the two Yankee games but Sooner or later, things have got to start to break for this team offensively. And yes, they both can go out and add a player. 
and they could go out and add some of the big players that are clearly available here at this juncture in the season. But the Mets, their problems run very deep right now. Then there's no reason for them to be sellers. I mean, they can be sellers if they want, but they're not going to get anything for fam. I mean, somebody to take them, yes, but they're not going to give you anything. And you're not going to get anything for Robertson. I told you a million times, nobody's taken Verlander and Scherzer with those contracts unless Cohn eats, you know, 70 cents on the dollar. And he's not going to do that. Why would he do it? It doesn't make any sense. They don't have any pitching for next year. So they have to bring those guys back. Otherwise, they have no season next year because they have nothing in the farm system. They don't have any pitchers. And Scherz is, you know, on a $120 million guaranteed contract for three years, and he's got a no trade. These guys aren't going anywhere. So this morning you look at where these teams are, and you don't feel good about either one of them. Like I said, I still expect the Yankees to make the playoffs. As a wild card, but I don't think they're going. If you think this is the team that's going to win the World Series, I don't see it's ha- it happening. And the Mets, they back closer and closer to the cliff every day. They are right about there. They have no more margin for error. If they don't push forward immediately, there's nothing to talk about. Remember, the podcast is uh, brought to you by the folks at Bet Rivers. Go to the Bet Rivers app for all of your wagering needs as we head towards another football season and an exciting football season. Looks like we're going to need a football season of excitement here in New York, and we have that. Um, and remember, for all of your wagering needs, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, play Sugar House in Connecticut. Your emails. Send them to Mike Francis a podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francis a podcast at gmail.com. Let's get to some emails and see what's going on today. All right, John says uh, aside from Soto and Atani, uh, who are some of the players you would love to see the Yankees trade for? And have we seen the last of Donaldson and Pinstripes? Well, I don't know that that's the case. But if they get anything, anything out of the kids. Now, Volpe, you know, they've committed to him, even though he has gone back into a, you know, a serious funk. That year is going to be like that for him. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. Um, they're going to stick with him, even though he's not. You know, he's going to hit some home runs. We know that he's going to have a lot of days where 
There's going to be a lot of strikeouts. There's going to be a lot of offers. We know that. He's won for his last 26. I think it's even worse than that. I think he's like one, you know, I think he might be like two for 33 right now. And there's way too many strikeouts. His on-base percentage in his last 30 at-bats is like 110. Um, but they're going to live with this, okay? He's a 200 hitter with a bad OPS, and, and, uh, but he's got 13 home runs, and he's learning how to play in the major leagues. So we know that. We know they're going to live with that. If Peraza comes up and is what they hope, then why would you ever take him out of the lineup? If Peraza comes up and plays well and hits well, then I do think there's not any room at the inn for Donaldson anymore. I hope that's the case. But the Yankees seem to be very tied to Donaldson. And even though he does absolutely nothing right, uh, they continue, continue to play him. And not only play him, but you know what? Bat him in a prominent place when he's in the lineup. It makes no sense. We've been screaming about it all year, but hopefully that's the case now. Soto makes sense for the Yankees. I've told you that San Diego wants to trade him. The reason that we know that the stars on that team are not getting along. The other issue is they lost one of the valuable parts of their TV contract that they expected to yield a tremendous amount of revenue and help compensate the amount of money they really just, you know, be there for the amount of money they needed to pay these contracts. Now that is gone, which makes them have to pare down the contract, pare down the roster, and pare down the payroll. So they are going to move them. Now, Atani is a little different because he has become a main attraction. So he is more than, first of all, with the, what he does with the pitching and the hitting. The other thing is he's become this big attraction in baseball. So there's a lot of things that go into him. He's kind of like the crown jewel right now. And they're going to want a lot for him, even though they don't control him long. They're going to want a lot for him. And you're going to have to pay him, especially to come east, an exorbitant amount of money. I mean, even for a guy like Cohn or the Yankees, and especially for Cohn, you're going to have to pay him a lot, a lot of money to get him to come and play on the East Coast because clearly he's made it very clear at times that he wants to play on the West Coast. And why the likely spot for him all along has been the Dodgers. Cody Bellinger would be another guy that you would look at who would be available and would fit with the Yankees. The Yankees need a guy who can play left field every day and be left-handed. Left-handed with power. Case closed. Not a guy who can platoon. Not a right-handed player. They need a left-handed power-hitting outfielder. That is what the Yankees need. Listen, every team can bolster their pitching you can never have too much pitching. We all know that. But they need a power-hitting left-handed outfielder 
in this lineup. The lineup is crying for it. So that is the dire need for the Yankees. Jonathan says in the last 30 years, every manager who left for whatever reason never managed again except Bobby V. Uh, it just seems like Mets managers is a career-ending job for those who get it, and it's likely that streak continues whenever Buck is relieved of his duties. Well, listen, Buck's age has to be taken into account here. Buck has been a manager for a very long time. He's not a young man. So the fact that this would be his last stop, I think, was pretty much a foregone conclusion when he took the job. The question is, is Buck winding up his tour here with this team? What will Cohen think when the season's over? Now, I can tell you, my understanding is, Clearly, we all know that they are looking for someone to run the franchise. We know that. He has made that pretty clear. But Cohen and Buck, my understanding, get along very, very well. So don't dismiss that as being a part of the, of the uh, equation here going forward. Dennis and Queens, do you think Brandon Marshall is a Hall of Famer? You know what? I like Brandon. He had a very, I, I like him personally. And he had a very productive career. Had a lot of 100 catch seasons, scored touchdowns. To me, he's not automatic, but he's right there where he's going to be weighed with a lot of the wide receivers. Problem is, it's a very competitive position. There are a lot of very productive wide receivers in this generation. And the numbers have changed tremendously because of the way the passing game is used now. The pass is often used like a run, which might take a couple of yards per reception away from their numbers, but it means also a lot of catches and a lot of, you know, one to five-yard touchdown catches. Where in the old days you might have run that ball in, now you might pass that ball. So it has changed the numbers for wide receivers because of the pass being, I mean, look, at the, you know, in the old days, a quarterback, if he completed 50% of his passes, was doing well. Now, you know, it's 65-plus. Numbers have changed tremendously in the running game. I mean, in the passing game, because a lot of it are just extended runs. And the passing game is so much a part of what people do now. The running back position has been changed, as everyone knows. And you're seeing now in terms of its value. You know, there are very few teams where the offense is built on a running back. You know, that has been the case in Tennessee. That has been the case in uh, Cleveland, really, where it's been built around both backs, but especially Chubb, who's an underrated back. Um, but that doesn't happen very often. 
you know, McCaffrey and his versatility and what he brings in San Francisco gets a lot of uh, touches in their offense. But very few offenses are built around the running back, and we can see how that is manifesting itself with the problems Walkley has in terms of getting what he feels is, you know, a fair dollar for his presence. Matt, I have followed Casa Creed, who, uh, let me mention to folks who don't know, Casa Creed uh, won again on Saturday at the uh, spa. He runs very well at, um, at Saratoga, and he's an incredibly consistent horse. He's seven years old now, and, you know, he's performed first one his first race there as a two-year-old uh and he has been just a wonderful performer and an incredibly consistent horse all these years and he's still going strong uh he'll run next probably in the four star dave on august 12th um it says uh uh i have followed cost creed after hearing you talk about him on the podcast i was heartbroken when he was narrowly defeated in the uh, turf sprint yeah he lost that in the Middle East, uh, just really by a diminishing, diminishing head. They called it head. I thought it was nose. I, I actually thought he might have won, to be honest with you, but he didn't. He finished second. Um, and it was a tough beat. Uh, is being in the winter circle of Saratoga the pinnacle of your life in sports? If not, what is? You know, I've always considered horse racing my hobby. Uh, it's It's been a part of my life for a very long time. I've owned horses for many years. You know, I've never owned a tremendous amount of horses, but I've owned horses consistently for many, many years. Um. I like the game. It's a game you have to play at your level where you, you just do what's comfortable for you because you can't compete. You know, you can't, there's always somebody who's far, you know, more equipped to be uh, overpowering than you. I mean, on this level, I don't care who you are, there's always somebody bigger. You know, you're going to start where at the top of the ladder is the, you know, the Maktoum of Dubai owns, a, you know, an incredible number of horses. The Queen of England used to own horses. I mean, so, you know, listen, there's competition, there's competition. Then you have some of the richest men in the world who own horses. So, um, you don't try to compete with people. You play it at the game at your level, whatever your level is, if you want to play the game. Now, it's it's not a game for everyone because uh, it is a very expensive hobby. Um, I've always separated it from my career so I, I don't look at them in that regard. Uh, my uh, being in Saratoga has been, and winning at Saratoga has been the highlight. I have always had a goal, and I still have it. And it's unfulfilled, but I've always felt that it would happen. And it hasn't yet. Uh, my goal was that I have a horse in the Kentucky Derby that has a chance to win as we go to the post. Meaning the horse has got a shot. He's not in there 
at 101 and he's just there to say he was there. You can't get in that way anyway. And if you do, if you bring a horse that qualifies, he at least has some ability. Otherwise, he couldn't qualify the way they have it now. So you can't, there's no vanity horses in the, in the, in the uh, Kentucky Derby. You can stick a horse in a stakes race if you want to pay for it at other times of the year. You cannot stick a horse in the Kentucky Derby. They don't let you do that. You have to qualify. So, um, because everyone wants to be in it. So, anyone you bring has some ability, but what I was talking about was having a horse that's, you know, inside 15 to 1 on the board and has a real chance to win. You know, where you're going in there and you're feeling, hey, I have a chance to win this race if things break right. That's been my goal in horse racing. That's been my big goal for uh, years and years, and I have not yet accomplished that. Uh, I hope to. But it hasn't happened yet. Um, we had High Oakland. We thought he was going to be the answer. And then, obviously, we saw what happens in racing. You can have good luck and bad luck. Um, as far as in sports, I just think that my uh, greatest accomplishment was being able to have the best job in sports in the city that I loved, the biggest city in the world, have the best job in sports in the biggest city in the world and maintain that job for well over 30 years. Um, that was, to me, the pinnacle, that I was able to have that job uh, all those years. And I always felt it was the best job in, in, in the town. And to be able to be there for such a long time and to be, you know, very successful in the time I was there, uh, that, that's, that's to me what I'm, that's the pinnacle. Really is. More than any awards or anything like that. Because listen, the awards come in, they're nice. I mean, you know, you're very, I'm not telling you you're not thrilled when you get into the Hall of Fame. You are, you're thrilled. You know, you want to get into the Hall of Fame, whatever your profession is. You see how excited people get because, you know what, it's usually late. And, you know, when, you, when you're winning awards along the way, they're nice. But, you know, you win it, you say, you smile and you move on. You know, you win the Marconi, you move on. You win this, you move on. You do this, you move on. But when you're reaching the end and you're looking back, that's when you get in the Hall of Fame. That's why it's so meaningful to everybody. It really is. So that's, you know, a great accomplishment and, and something you're very proud of and it's, and it's forever. Uh, and, but I'd say just having the job all those years and having as much success in the job as I did, I, I think that uh, that's the pinnacle. But I still, still, now, I want to win more races in Saratoga. It's always great to win a race in Saratoga, any kind of race. No matter what race you win in Saratoga, when you're walking that, through that packed, you know, uh, grandstand, and you're heading to the winner's circle, and it's packed there, it's a, it's a great thrill. It really is, because it's, it's special there. It's very special. And so winning there anytime is extremely special. 
no one isn't excited when they win a race there. I don't care what race they win. When they win a big race there, well, it's, you know, unbelievable. And Cost Creed's won us a lot of big races up there. And High Oak won the Saratoga Special up there uh, two years ago. And that's a very big race uh, for two-year-olds. And, you know, that was a big thrill, too. Um, so anything there is very special. But my goal and the dream I've had was that I want to get to the Derby with a horse that has a chance. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get that done. Uh, John asked, do you see Tommy Pham as a potential fit for the Yankees? No, I do not. I don't want a right-handed hitter. The Yankees need a left-handed power bat. The Yankees need a significant player and a power bat. But if he's an all-around player, so I, listen, I think Soto's a perfect fit for the Yankees. Uh, Daniel, will Kershaw get 100% of the Hall of Fame vote? If not, what active player will? Hey, I don't know if anybody duplicates that. I mean, hey, some of the greatest players of all time didn't get 100%. Nobody had gotten 100% until Mariano. And I don't think it's necessary to do that. And they don't do it for whatever reason. A lot of people think, oh, uh, first ballot, I'm not voting for the guy, so uh, he's not getting all 100% first ballot. Uh, so he gets in with 94 and 96 and 98 or whatever. Uh, the whole process is a little silly sometimes. Uh, but if you're asking, is Kershaw a Hall of Fame? And the answer is yes. Mike in Connecticut asks, have you seen Sounds of Freedom? If so, what are your thoughts? If not, will you? Great question. We've discussed this movie, and we've discussed whether we will see it. Um, it's become a word-of-mouth movie that has uh, really caught on and now is having a lot of box office success. Now, this movie is not without its controversy, as you know. Is about an awful dark subject, and that is the trafficking, the, ch the sex enslavement and trafficking of young children, which is as bad as it gets in our world. And I. I I will see this as a very distressing movie. There's no question. I'm not saying I won't see it. I know my wife has asked me to see it. Um, there is some controversy with it because a couple of people connected with the movie have been conspiracy theorists at times. Been quoted as being behind some pretty wild conspiracies. So that has drawn some attention. This movie has now almost broken on political, t on political uh, agendas. So uh, I hate when that happens because that's, you know, that's something that is always polarizing. The movie um, is important. Some people say that uh, it's been overstated. 
in terms of the group's accomplishments, not in terms of the problem. The problem is real. And the problem should be brought into the light and should be dealt with by any powers that we can throw at this. Any energy we can throw at this, this is a huge problem. And like I said, the word of mouth on the movie is how this movie has caught on. And this was a low-budget film that people did not think was going to do well in the movies, and it has done exceedingly well. And it is getting stronger now. It got stronger in the second week than it did in the first week, and that movies do not do that. And this movie did. So I can tell you that uh, I'm very much looking to see Oppenheimer. So uh, Oppenheimer opens the 21st of July. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I, I don't, it's a pet peeve of mine, and I like movies. I like movies a lot, but I do not like three-hour movies. I think the odds on somebody making a quality three-hour movie are very, very hard and very rare. It's hard to put something together for three hours and have it be gripping. Now, if he's talented enough to get that done, God bless him. It's obviously a very interesting topic. It's a topic that and is about a moment in time that changed the world. And, you know, has been highly debated. So it's a fascinating, fascinating study of a man who, you know, if you don't know, Oppenheimer is the guy who was the intellectual force behind the Manhattan Project and the building of the uh, first atomic weapon. How he did that, his relationship with Einstein, his relationship with Truman, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is all part of this movie, which will open on the 21st. So, so to answer your question about Sound of Freedom, I'm not sure if I'm going to go see it or not. I'm not sure. I know the problem exists. I don't like to see that stuff on the screen myself. I know it's there, but I just, it's distressing. So I'm not sure. But I will go see Oppenheimer as soon as it opens. That I can tell you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.